Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. As we, folks, uh, turn to our Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 24. If you would like, you might want to put a finger or a marker in John chapter 16. We will be there a little bit as well. Uh, But in Luke chapter 24, we see that Jesus now has appeared to his disciples, at least ten of them. uh, And he has given them uh, now the Great Commission. That's what our passage will be today. The Great Commission is his command to proclaim this good news, all right? That God sent forth His Son to be born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life, then He suffered and died for our sins. He rose on the third day, and now repentance for forgiveness of salvation is proclaimed. Um, It's offered in Jesus' name. This is the extraordinarily good news that we often refer to, uh, usually refer to as the gospel. It is the good news. Now... In Luke chapter 24, although Jesus has physically appeared to 10 of his disciples in verses 36 to 43, we looked at that last week, they're still having trouble. They're still having trouble accepting, understanding the gospel, repentance for forgiveness of sins. After eight more days, Thomas will finally... uh, get in the action, he gets to see and touch Jesus as well. Boy, that must have been a long week, huh? Everybody else has seen and touched Jesus, and they're just telling you about it till the eighth day. That must have been rough for Thomas. But though they have all seen that Jesus has risen, this question remains. When do they actually recognize that Jesus bore their sins in his body on the cross, accepting the gospel, the, the repentance for forgiveness of sins, that he, i.e. that he literally died in their place. You follow me? The, the substitutionary atonement. At what point are they truly justified before God for their sins? That is a long disputed question. There are uh, a number who profess that it must have been when they had first seen Jesus risen at whatever point that was, whenever they had seen him after his resurrection, that must have been the point when they each first saw him. But Scripture doesn't state that. Scripture doesn't ensure that. Others claim that, well, it must have been then on the day that the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, perhaps... Perhaps, but I've been drawn to conclude that it is in this passage right here, this passage right here that begins in verse 44. So the next question that you're probably asking is, is well, where is right here? Where is right here in verses 44 to 49? Where are Jesus and his disciples in this passage? And at first glance, you you glance down to verse 49, and, and, and it seems to imply they need to remain in the city until they're clothed with power from on high. That, that is an explicit reference to the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So, so does that suggest they are still in Jerusalem and will remain in Jerusalem, the place that Jesus uh, is raised that we studied last week? That simply can't be. It's, it simply can't be. Because if they were still in Jerusalem, they would need to obey Jesus' command to remain in Jerusalem. And Scripture assures us that they don't remain in Jerusalem. After Jesus' resurrection, an angel told Mary that Jesus would meet his disciples at a particular location. Anybody remember what that location is? Galilee. Galilee. Jesus would go ahead and wait for them in Galilee. 
And then we are told in Matthew 28, verse 16, Galilee is actually the location where Jesus gives this great commission. So it's likely that there's a considerable gap of time between verses 43 and 44. There must be enough time for Jesus to appear to Thomas, which would have been eight days after he first appeared. And then there had to be time for them to all travel to Galilee. There even had to be enough time for Peter to invite the rest of them out to go fishing. Remember they had a little fishing expedition where, uh, on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus reveals to them by the seashore. He makes them a little something to eat. Folks, sometimes we forget to remember that there were 50 days. 50 days between uh, the day that Christ was crucified and the day of Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit was given. Peter and the others, while they're waiting in, uh, in Galilee, they, they must have gotten restless. They, they went fishing. John chapter 21 reveals that. And then when Jesus re- appears to them, that's when Jesus has his little one-on-one with Peter. Remember, he says, Peter, do you love me? Three different times. And, and if so, feed my sheep. So this great commission that we're studying This occurs after all of that interim period, but while they remain still in Galilee. I will read for you the most most famous account of the Great Commission. It's given in in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Uh, Notice how some are still described as doubtful. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee... To the mountain which Jesus had designated, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always even till the end of the age, right? They're in Galilee. Jesus is clearly raised, having been both seen and touched by the disciples. Yet at least some remain doubtful. Folks, that is shocking. That is absolutely astonishing. With all of this in view, thinking about the doubts that they have expressed when he appeared to them at first, there are still doubts there. Just one final time, I would like to draw your attention to how Father Abraham responded to the rich man who was in, mi- in misery in Hades. All right, in, the, in Luke chapter 16 is where we studied this. Father Abraham responds to the rich man who's concerned about his brothers not going to the place of torment. So he asked Abraham to send someone back. Well, in verse 29, Abraham responds by saying this, Your brothers have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But Abraham said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets... That's a scripture at that point. Moses and the prophets. They will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Well, folks, today is the supreme illustration of Jesus' story with the rich man and Lazarus. Just as Abraham warned, a man has risen from the dead... He has appeared again and again to the two men on the road to Emmaus, to the disciples the first time, then to Thomas, even now up in Galilee, yet people still doubt, these disciples who knew him, knew him him as well as we know one another's faces, they still doubt, some of them, 
Uh, folks, that depraved human heart. Who can understand it, said Jeremiah? Just sick and deceitful above all things. Man will always strive to find a way to dismiss the miracle of Christ. Always search for a way to explain away somehow the resurrection. Oh, maybe he wasn't completely dead. Maybe, maybe he, uh, maybe who knows what. People doubt the virgin birth. They doubt Christ's life being sinless. Even his own disciples, who knew his face as good as anyone except his, his mother and brothers, they still, many of them, remained doubtful. Therefore, Abraham told the rich man, your brothers must heed the scriptures. They must heed the scriptures. If people won't accept the testimony of the written word, there exists no other solution for salvation. No other solution. For nothing besides scripture, not even seeing a man raised from the dead, is efficacious for salvation. Nothing else is efficacious. Romans 10 verse 17 assures us that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. That's how faith comes, by hearing the words of the scriptures. Though people like that rich man will say, no, no, send him someone uh, that, that risen from the dead. You know, send him a snake handler. Send him something you know, really, really impressive. They'll heed that. They'll deny sola scriptura. They'll deny scripture alone. But this truth abides. This truth abides. Proclamation and explanation of scripture is the only way that anybody ever gets saved. That's the gospel message. That is the good news that we have been given. So, Considering all these things and, and a few doubts lingering amongst his disciples, a lack of understanding exactly how this all flushes out, even after they've seen him raised, what do you think Jesus might do about their condition? What might he do in this situation? Well, follow as I read, beginning in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 44. We'll see what Jesus does about it. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. He's got them now where their minds are opened to understand the Scriptures. So what does he give them? Well, he said to them, thus, it is written, here's what he gives them, the gospel right here, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scripture, sovereignty. To understand the Scripture that says the Savior, the Christ, will be born of the Virgin, looking back at Isaiah, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. He opened their minds to understand that Jesus is the prophet that is promised throughout the Old Testament. All of these scriptures testify about me, said Christ. And to now finally understand this in our passage today, that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations because he suffered and because he died and he rose. So this is now to be proclaimed to all the nations, not just Israel any longer. He's not just the Savior of Israel. Um, back in the Old Testament, you see a focus on the nation of Israel itself, that people would come to, to hear the truth of God's Word, 
centralized in Israel. There are a couple of couple of situations there where God sent a prophet to a neighboring nation. You have Jonah. But in general, the Old Testament described people coming to the promised land to hear the truth that God had given. Not any longer. Not any longer. It will go to all the nations because the angels sang to those shepherds that night. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward man. Folks, that is what was delivered to us that first Christmas. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. Uh, I, would, I would suggest, if you're the type of person that is just really compelled to identify a, a point, and you don't have to be. I mean, we, we don't have to know exactly. But if you feel compelled to identify a point of conversion for the apostles... This would probably be it. This would probably be it. Um, did they have to wait for the Holy Spirit at Pentecost? Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Christ himself is with them right now. He is giving them the message. He opened their minds to understand what is written right here and now. Everyone else certainly is going to have to wait until the Holy Spirit uh, is given at Pentecost, and I'll under, explain uh, in depth why that is. But I think it is very likely since he has given them, them this commission, he had opened their minds to understand uh, that if he's given them this commission to go out and tell this, that they must have some kind of understanding now. That Christ died for sins, as the scripture said, that he rose again, and uh, the Spirit will be given a short time later. This is why Jesus alerts them in verse 47 that, that this is all going to begin in Jerusalem. Beginning in Jerusalem. Because they're currently in Galilee. They're on a mountain in Galilee. And, and so they're going to have to pack up all their bags again and travel back to Jerusalem. Because Jesus say that's where this is all going to start. Because we see in verse 48, you are witnesses. Of these things. You are witnesses. And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Folks, in, in the final scene of Luke next week, which we will finish, it'll be in verse 50, beginning in verse 50, that will be Christ's ascension from the Mount of Olives. Uh, after his resurrection now, after he's given them the great commission, and after they have returned to Jerusalem. And on that day, Jesus is going to remind them, once again, we see it in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this great commission. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's how we know for certain what being clothed with power on high means. Uh, it is the Holy Spirit. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and into Judea and into Samaria and even to the outermost parts of the earth. He reasserts again at his ascension the gospel and that they would be witnesses to him. Do you sense the conundrum? The, the conundrum that is being solved now by this great commission. The, the problem that existed, but now no longer exists, because Christ answers the question, now what? Now what? With all you have experienced, with everything that you have learned, with all that you have been taught through the Word, and, and what you know, Jesus answers this question, what is next? Was not talking about the eleven. They'll become twelve. Folks, what is next for Port St. Lucie Bible Church? This answers the what next for us. Oh, I see that kind of uh-oh on your faces. You mean, you mean this applies to us too? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Great Commission was never designated to just twelve who would live for a few decades after Christ had ascended to heaven. 
No Christian believes that. No Christian believes that this great commission just belonged to some first century guys that did it. Now, now we're just kind of exempt from having to deal with this today. The great commission persists until the gospel has reached every people group, every ethnos, crosses every border to every village, this great commission persists until Christ comes. Until he comes. A lot has has occurred. We have learned, I'm speaking of us now, we've learned plenty. We've learned plenty. There's still more to learn, but we know enough to spread the gospel. And, And if you're wondering what is next for you, if you're wondering what is next for Port St. Lucie, Bible Church, this is next. This is next. The Great Commission. Because proclaiming this gospel, please look at it again in verse 46. That the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed, That gospel message is the only way anybody ever gets saved. Faith comes by hearing. Therefore, Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, I'm going to put it up for you now because you're going to read this with me aloud. You ready? For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also the Greek. Well done. Well done. We are not ashamed of this gospel. In Romans 10, got one more reading for us after I restate that the Apostle Paul says, faith comes by hearing. All right, here it is. Therefore, he provokes us with this question. You can go ahead and read it with me. How then are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? But how are they to preach unless they are sent? Just it is as written. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Folks, do you believe that? Do you really believe that? I I believe we do. I believe we do. It is the power of God unto salvation. Look with me at verse 48 again. You are witnesses of these things. Things, witnesses of these things. We are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise, this is good, the promise of my Father upon you, but you are going to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Boy, it is really important, really important to unpack this power from on high if we're going to fulfill this great commission why were the disciples instructed to return to jerusalem well that is because it's where everything was going to begin on the day of pentecost and and why at his ascension does jesus tell them to wait in the city we don't know exactly how many days maybe 10 days or so but why at his ascension does jesus tell them to wait in the city It's because at Pentecost they would be clothed with power from on high once the Holy Spirit was given. Do you remember why, I alluded to it last week, do you remember why the giving of the Holy Spirit was so essential, so incredibly essential? It is because as Abraham said, as Abraham said, people must be persuaded by the Scriptures or they will never believe that a man is raised from the dead. That becomes a problem for us folks, if they will not believe that Christ has been raised. His own disciples still doubted, even when Christ was standing right in front of them. 
right in front of them. So he opened their minds to understand the scripture. He gave them the gospel. Uh, We have to realize when witnessing our message of a resurrected Christ, he who has been raised, folks, it is our, our message is destined for rejection. Destined for rejection unless our testimony receives that divine power. The power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples, this is right before, or shortly before he ascended into heaven. Jesus told his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, Jesus says, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, uh, concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Folks, this is the reason that Jesus could leave and tell them, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans, he said, as he's going to depart. John 14, verse 16 says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. All right, another helper, and, and it's very specific wording there. I don't want to go into detail, but the another helper, the word another there, there are many different ways to say another in the Greek language. The word, it can be another that is similar, another that comes later. This word is very specific. It means another of the same kind, another of the identical kind. He said as he was going to be ascended, I will give you another helper of the same kind that he may be with you how long? Forever. Forever. That is the spirit of truth. He'll be with you forever. Another helper. Like me, Christ says, he is the spirit of truth. And just as Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, so the Holy Spirit works today. John 15, verse 26 says it is the Holy Spirit's ministry to testify to Jesus. Well, how does He do that? It's His ministry to testify. Folks, He uses the Word, the Word of God. That is how the Holy Spirit testify. And nobody we approach is going to believe that that a man has risen from the dead unless the Holy Spirit is convicting them of that truth. Like at Pentecost, it is the Holy Spirit from on high who empowers our gospel message. Our message needs power. Without His conviction... Our gospel message will fall, as you may have experienced, because it often does. It'll fall on deaf ears. It won't have power. The Lord convicts of sin. In Acts 16, verse 14, we see He opens the heart to respond. So knowing this, how do you think the Holy Spirit reacts, responds? I'll say it feels slippery word there but how do you think the holy spirit feels when we engineer programs to manipulate people into receiving jesus to manipulate people in different ways emotionally and other things how do you think the holy spirit thinks about us getting crafty <laughs> crafty you of you have seen some craftiness I got a quote here from, uh, I'm going to read some from R.C. Sproul. The late R.C. Sproul says, I think the greatest weakness in the church today is that almost no one believes that God invests his power in the Bible. Everyone is looking for a power in a program, in a methodology, in a technique, in anything and everything but that which, is, which God has placed it. His word. He alone has the power to change lives for eternity, and that power is focused on the scriptures. 
Oh, good words there. Good words right there. Boy, how beautiful are the feet that bring the good news of good things. Wow. Um, I, I'm not suggesting that we do a poor presentation, that we play the harmonically poorly. That, uh, no, I'm not saying that we don't do a good uh, presentation, but relying on a presentation, relying on craftiness, relying on a program of any kind, folks, that becomes a hindrance to our gospel message when we begin to credit those things. This is because this threefold ministry of conviction, threefold ministry, I will call it, concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, it is the Holy Spirit's personal ministry. It is God's personal ministry. In John 16, verse 9, Jesus says first, the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Folks, this verse requires a correction, a misunderstanding. Some suppose the Holy Spirit's ministry of conviction, that the Holy Spirit causes kind of a universal condition of, of feeling bad. A universal condition in people that, that every person on the planet equally experiences. Uh, a universal force. Kind of just a power of God that just makes everybody feel uh, bad about sin. Uh, no, folks, Scripture says that for feeling bad, God has given us a conscience. It is a conscience that should prompt us when we do evil. Some, believers, uh, some unbelievers have, have reached such a high level of rebellion in their conscience that, that, that it's, it's seared as with a branding iron. doesn't even work. doesn't even function anymore. Just take a look around. Their conscience doesn't provoke them any longer. Straight up Romans chapter 1. God turns them over to a debased mind. The Holy Spirit's conviction... That is a distinct, uh, that is distinct from conscience, all right? That isn't conscience. When Scripture says the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin, the term world there rather implies nations far beyond Israel. Meaning this is now all the nations, not just talking Israel anymore. The Holy Spirit is going to be working in places where previous to the gospel and Christ being raised, we're just in darkness. You go to the Old Testament and, and the descriptions of the neighboring countries and those around the world that, that were void of any influence from Israel, have never been to Israel, had never heard the written word, they're just described as darkness. Places of death and darkness and despair. Now, the Holy Spirit's going to be utilizing His ministry and His power everywhere. He's going to be in the world convicting of sin. All the nations. The Spirit convicts worldwide personally. Personally, He does this. He's not a force. Just having a little discussion earlier with Richard back there about um, Jehovah's Witnesses. They, they don't believe that the Holy Spirit is a person. They don't believe He, he can be offended like Scripture shows us He can be offended. That's uh, easy to take them uh, to John chapter 14, 15, 16, where Jesus and Scripture repeatedly refers to the Holy Spirit as He and Him. You take them there and they just fold up their bags and go home. Because they, 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 don't, they don't have any way to explain that. Why it is a He, why it is a person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a personhood. It's not, not, not just a, uh, an aura. It, it's not just a force. It is a Him, it is a He. His conviction... His is a convic conviction that so disturbs a sinner that, that they long for a solution. They long for a resolution to their sin. And it is a conviction that can only be satisfied through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that can satisfy that conviction. It ultimately becomes, folks, efficacious. Eventually efficacious. To the church in Thessalonica, Paul wrote this, Knowing, brethren, beloved of, by God, his choice of you, so it's stated again in the context of sovereign election. Paul says this, 
our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. First Thessalonians 1 verse 4. You ever felt like when you've been witnessing, you know, my words don't seem like they are harnessing any power. The person doesn't have any conviction you're talking to. No conviction. We need to have conviction, power of the Holy Spirit. In contrast to a gospel that's only preached as words, which we've done again and again and again, the Holy Spirit's conviction exploits divine power over the subject. That person who experiences it feels a heavy conviction. And it becomes the power of God unto salvation. The power of God unto salvation. Once the Holy Spirit conviction is united with the gospel. They are convicted. They've got to have a resolution. They've got to have a reconciliation with their creator. And the good news of the gospel becomes efficacious. And they respond. And they're like, I like the sound of that. That is a conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit. And and due to this prerequisite of conviction, I I would recommend, each each one here I know has their own own way of witnessing and other things, but I would recommend that that when we evangelize, we, we quickly advance to the substance. Quickly to the substance because of this prerequisite of conviction and the power of this conviction the power that the Holy Spirit yields I would recommend that we advance to you know God has an offer of forgiveness for your sins there's an offer of repentance for forgiveness of sins because repentant disposition always accompanies the Spirit's conviction if they're not there's no evidence of repentance. There's no spirit of conviction. They don't feel like they've offended God at all. Acts 11 verse 18 assures us that like faith, repentance unto salvation is a gift of God. Repentance is a gift of God. Acts 5 verse 31 indicates that repentance is granted by God. He's the one who gives it. It's not, it's not something we muster up. That's, that's another thing we better, I better just take a moment there to, th- to consider. Many times, we always tell people immediately, you've got to repent first. And, and then you can have the riches of God's mercy. And they're like, man, I don't I think I can ever do it. If they're under conviction of the Holy Spirit, there will be an evidence of repentance. It is, it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, is repentance. It's part of His conviction, conviction. ministry. Um. Jesus insists the reason the Spirit convicts is why. It says, well, because they do not believe in me. That's why the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. Because they don't believe in me. So the objective of this conviction is for people to believe in Christ. Follow me? Not just make them feel bad. The objective of the Holy Spirit's conviction is to believe that Jesus Christ is born Savior of the world and eventually... When the good news is heard, God's timing, it will become efficacious. They will be born again. Therefore, um, once you adequately, adequately implore someone concerning the truths of Christ, about who He is, about what He did for us, once you've sufficiently implored them to, to trust in our Savior, if he or she does not display any conviction, no conviction, no, nor sh- sorrow or re- sorrow of repentance. Folks, there's no use arguing with them till they're blue in the face. There's a verse, I don't want to be rude here, but there's a verse where Jesus says, no, don't cast the pearls before the swine. If they don't want the goodness of God's riches, don't waste it on them. Don't waste your time on them. Folks, uh, Instead, recognize the Holy Spirit is not convicting them. At least, at least not at that moment. It might come later in life. Some people come much later in life at the Holy Spirit conviction. Evangelism is never winning an argument. It's the power of God in the Word and of the Holy Spirit. It's not jousting or fencing. You see that commercial? 
people have the neighbors, and they say, we got a fencing problem. Ah, ah. And sometimes we, we relegate our witnessing to that. I'm like, i got to score a point. That's a strike, you know. Punch him with it. Ah, ah, ah. I'm eventually going to get him to, to give up. No. I, I don't know about you. The Lord, I, I really do wish that he would grant all of us, all of us, the joy of seeing more repentance and salvation in our witnessing. It's a work of the Spirit. And that's what we need to plead for Him to do. But I'll be honest, uh, on the number, and, and I, I'm sad, it's, 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 a sad, it's a low number, but the number of people that I have been able to personally, while witnessing, lead to Christ, it's been, it's been consistent in them. And there's enough of them to see a pattern. It's been consistent in them that they give up. They do. They hear that precious good news and they're like, oh man, that's what I've been needing. They might not fully understand everything they wanted. We? No. Oh, but that good news was lovely to them. Folks, we need to be so reliant on the Holy Spirit in His ministry of conviction. You'll notice a person is not under conviction if not disturbed by their immoral business practices, they lie, cheat, steal, uh, gouge people, they'll just rationalize. Their responsibility, they rationalize, well, you know, everybody's got to make a buck. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. Everybody's got to get out there and grind, right? They rationalize. When exposed for being sexually immoral or in a sexually immoral relationship, eh, they don't feel shame. Response is something like, everybody's doing it. All my friends do it. Um, everybody else does it. And here it goes. I better take a drink before this. They say, God loves me just as I am. Ah, folks, this, this is sad. This is sad. Um, Rita and I saw a white van just about a week or ten days ago uh, around town here with a big sign on the back in big letters and on each side, all painted on all three sides with big, bold letters, said that Jesus loves you unconditionally, in italics. Unconditionally. Folks, Jesus loves you unconditionally is a doctrine of demons. It is a doctrine of demons. Scripture reveals God's love is conditional, upon a conviction of sin, repentance for salvation, and a life changed by Christ through a spiritual regeneration. It's conditional. You need a scriptural scriptural verification of that, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. There must be a changed life. Do not be deceived. I love how he starts, Paul starts out with that. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the Spirit of our God. In the Spirit of our God. Are you feeling convicted? Good. Good. So we're in the business of here. Helping help uh, give the truth that the Holy Spirit would do His work. That He is the convictor of sin. Because, folks, Jesus' love, it's conditional. It's gonna, it is not conditional on a perfected life. None of us here has that. But it is It is conditional on evidence of a repentant life. A life that shows sorrow for the sins of our past and for our present and what we are sure will be in the future. There is a sorrow, a grieving by Christians that Christ had to die for our sins. Scripture offers you good news. If you have not trusted in Christ, if you have never heard this before, that, that, that... Something has to change in your life. Something must actually change after conversion. If you haven't heard that before, the good news is repentance 
for forgiveness of sins. That's the good news. He who is in Christ is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Again, we won't experience sinless perfection until Christ returns. But salvation is always accompanied by repentance. That, that grief over past and present lingering influences of sin. Aren't you, join, aren't you glad you joined us for Christmas? It's great news. It's wonderful news. Secondly, this threefold ministry of conviction. Secondly, Jesus says the Spirit convicts concerning righteousness. Well, what does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. He says, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. Folks, this, this conviction of righteousness, this is what is opposed so strongly by our culture. Oh, they are opposed to this, our, our culture is opposed to this because they've embraced another doctrine of demons, moral relativism. Have you heard of that? that, that is, that's the, the broadest religion in America today, the biggest religion. Moral relativism. What, what is morally wrong for you might be, you know, kind of a pretty good fit for me. You got what you think is wrong, I got what I think is wrong, um... Everybody will do what's right in their own eyes. That's where we are in America today. No righteous standard. No conviction concerning righteousness. Righteousness, right and wrong. Um, when, when Jesus ascended to the Father, while He was on earth, His ministry was, was, was overflowing with this ministry, Jesus on earth. When asked moral questions, he, he always responded, it is written, right? With a moral exhortation from Scripture after of it. You shall not, uh, you shall not do this, you shall not do that. You know, he, my, my father, it is written, my father's house will be a place of prayer. You've turned it into a den of thieves or robbers. He always responded right and wrong with what is written, but now that he's ascended to the Father, the Holy Spirit inherits this ministry of distinguishing the difference between right and wrong. He does it through what is revealed in the Scriptures. I wish I had a lot more time to flush this out, but not today. But I place no hope in a conversion technique that does not rely wholly on the Scriptures. I also place no confidence in a person professing to be a Christian when they when they will when they will propose or or when they're presented with moral principles from the scripture as it is written kindly you know with exhortation but when they're pre- presented respectfully with exhortations from scripture things things that are easily discerned from scripture all right easily still they insist those so, so clear, Old Testament and New, still they insist, you know, abortion should be a women's right. There, there, there's, no, there's no discernment there between right and wrong. You can show them from Scripture all day long and there's just, there's just nothing. There's just nothing. Or, or embrace behaviors, you know, drunkenness, premarital sex, uh, immorality, sexual immorality of, of any kind. And persons failing to discern or, let's say, unwilling to accept when, when properly approached with respect, uh, if they're unable to observe or willing to accept simple right from wrong. Simple right from wrong. T- timeless 10, thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Simple, straightforward things. They won't accept that, Lord. Uh, the from, from the Lord and from His Word, they've not received the Holy Spirit's conviction of righteousness. They have not received it. I put no faith in a person who professes to be Christian but has no moral compass. None whatsoever. In the same breath, Jesus says the Spirit will convict you because 
I go to the Father and you no longer see me. He says, you'll be convicted even though you can't see me anymore. Well, that's, that's pretty important. That's pretty important. Because this refers to Jesus' visible presence with the apostles. In verse 46, it says, It is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. And his own disciples doubted even after they had seen Jesus, after they visibly seen him. Will then the people we witness to, will they naturally accept, just in themselves, will they naturally accept that Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago? Will the natural man accept the things of the Spirit of God? No way. No way they're going to accept that message. It's foolishness to them. No how, no way when they can't even see him or touch him. It's going to take something else. It's going to take a spirit of conviction. The confidence that Christ has been raised is also a conviction of the Holy Spirit. It is a belief where our heart says, our heart says, it responds saying, that's truth. Though I can't see him, though I can't touch him, that's reality. Christ has been raised. Folks, that is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Boy, we need the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 11, verse 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. There you go, right there again. I believe, I haven't looked back at it, but I believe that's the same Greek word even. Conviction of things not seen. That's the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Praise God. Third, and still citing the promise of being clothed with power from on high. Third, the Spirit convicts concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Conviction of judgment, another important one, means the Holy Spirit supplies a firm conviction that Satan and all who join him in rebellion will stand before God and will be judged. It's allotted for man to die once and then judgment. The Holy Spirit provides that conviction, supplies it. We realize we're just unfit for that day. We are completely unfit for that day of judgment. And Christians happily embrace the good news that Jesus stood in the gap for us. That is wonderful news. It's because of a conviction of judgment. All these are ministries of the Holy Spirit. When we witness, and I, and I want to, don't want to be misunderstood too. I, w- I want to assure that there's latitude in this, in witnessing. There is some latitude, but I don't want to lose the focus on the working of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. But there's latitude to follow the Spirit's grace of scattering seed, sharing the gospel and, and knowledge of the gospel. I don't want to be too rigid here, but if the individual is recalcitrant, it, it, it if, if you sense no evidence of conviction of sin, nor of sorrow, of repentance, if they fail to acknowledge that God has any single divine standard of right and wrong, if, they've got, if they display no, no conviction that God is going to judge every single one of us according to that moral law, uh, they mock the idea that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead and exhibit no fear of standing before God. Has the Holy Spirit prepared their heart to receive the good news of God's grace? No way. No way. Don't beat your head trying to win an argument. Don't beat your head trying to win an argument. Be persistent. Be urgent with people, as Peter was on the day of Pentecost. In our own, in our own preparation here at Port St. Lucie Bible Church and as in individuals, in our preparation then of obeying Christ's command to go and make disciples while reviewing everything that we have learned here about the Holy Spirit's ministry and, and the preeminence of Scripture. Is it surprising at all that Jesus told his disciples to wait in the city until you are clothed with power from on high? Any surprising at all? He said, hey, wait until the Spirit comes. What could the apostles have done before the Holy Spirit was given? Nothing. 
They, they couldn't have achieved anything without the Holy Spirit. John 15, verse 5, there Jesus said, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Good to remember in evangelism. Knowing the Holy Spirit is another of the same kind as Christ. Are we to become any less reliant on the Holy Spirit today than the disciples were when Christ was with them? Can't be any less reliant to fulfill the Great Commission. Certainly not. Uh, we must fully depend upon Him and plead that He will bless His church, not just our church, but His church all over the planet to fulfill His ministry in our very presence to see Him work for the expansion of Christ's kingdom and for God's glory. Here's we wrap up. You ready? There's more good news. More good news. What is next for Port St. Lucie Bible Church in 2021? What is next? The Great Commission is next. Obedience to the Great Commission, seeking that empowerment of the Holy Spirit to work amongst us for His glory. Let me close with a summary of where we have progressed as a church. You're going to know, this is an exciting and opportune time for Port St. Lucie Bible Church, even in the midst of this pandemic, all right? This is a good time for this wrap-up of the Gospel of Luke. Number one, doctrine. We are confident of what we believe. We know whom we've believed in, and God has positioned within this church a rock-solid core of Christians who know what they believe. We won't easily be swayed or led astray by an influx of new visitors that we invite. We've got the core. With With the clarity that we teach in all of our classes... People aren't in harmony with, with what we believe, they generally will move on pretty quickly. We got a core of solid doctrine and people who believe the same. The result of that is number two unity. Unity in the Spirit. What we believe has drawn us closer in fellowship with one another. Harmony is a fruit of sound doctrine, it's not a fruit of ambiguity. Old Howard Hendricks from from Dallas Seminary used to say, a mist from the pulpit, Magnus, a mist from the pulpit becomes a fog in the pew. And nobody can see. No, no, no. There's no ambiguity. And as a result, we display an authentic joy in fellowship with one another because we know what we believe. It's clearly evident in you folks. Clearly evident. Uh, We like people. And visitors are welcomed, are, are, are greatly welcomed by you guys. Um, they feel welcome because they are. They are. Number three, missions. We have over time focused on being increasingly generous to a key, uh, a key group of missionaries. Giving more to a key group which has enhanced our relationship with them because they visit us in return with enthusiasm when they're on furlough, when they come stateside, and we, and we receive them with enthusiasm when they come. Our missionaries know us well. Uh, we know them well. I recently heard that Kim Hibbert is back. Back stateside. Can't wait to see her back again. Uh, our missionary to Bible translation in India. She works on a team over there translating the Bible. Uh, look forward in 2021 to see her visit hopefully soon. Number four then, divine purpose. We clarified this at the congregational meeting. Our new the ministry of the saints that we've been talking about uh, as a result of obedience to Scripture, God, God willing, uh, our new budget now going forward, everything's always dependent upon God, uh, but the first of the year, our new budget, we've adopted uh, a budget in which we will obey God and Scripture in alleviating the suffering of some of the most impoverished saints, uh, Christ redeemed on the planet. That's starting next year. 
That is an exciting thing. Um, doctrine, unity, missions, purpose. All of those things. We know what we believe. We've established what we do around the globe. Uh, what sh- then shall we do with our passion right here in Port St. Lucie? What are we going to do? Thank you. Thank you. The Great Commission. We win souls. We love our neighbors. We invite them to church. We proclaim God's offer of repentance for forgiveness of sins. We become his witnesses who deliberately advance our conversations to the gospel. Being led by the Holy Spirit's conviction. Hey, did you know that your sins can be forgiven? Well, they don't respond to that. Well, pry a little more. But that's the message that they're waiting to hear. We are now knowledgeable and sensitive to the Spirit's conviction. We know apart from Him we can do nothing. Nothing. And because the gospel is the power of God, we know we don't have to be a rocket scientist to make this all happen. We don't. We don't have to be the debater of this age. Paul, Paul the Apostle said, where's the debater of the age? foolishness we preach the word of christ the word of the cross that is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of god the power of god we will go out in power we preach christ crucified folks share gospel tracts share connection cards let people know where we're at keep them nearby i do this every few months get them out share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Balance your expectations. Balance your expectations so that so you don't, don't grow weary. You don't want to be so optimistic that, that you're discouraged you know, when a number of people don't respond. Don't be discouraged in that way. Recognize the way that leads to life is narrow, but also don't be so pessimistic that you don't expect the Holy Spirit to work. The Holy Spirit is still working to build Christ's church. Christ has not come. God is not done. We must proclaim the gospel. If you're not great in evangelism, which many of us struggle with, invite people to church. Invite people to church. I I talked about this briefly last week. Folks, this is an amazing church. It's an amazing church. You have wonderful smiles. You really do. You're loving people. You enjoy one another. You fellowship. You laugh. You can take a joke. It's wonderful. We're not wired so tight that we can't take a prank. I got given a unicorn mask about a week or ten days ago for Christmas. I'm going to give it back eventually. People enjoy visiting a church that is happy. We are truly happy. Uh, we, should, we should recognize that this, is, this church is, is a very special work of God's grace. It really, really is. Uh, I don't believe for one minute we should anticipate that God is done here. He's not done. We're, we're staged. We're ripe. We're ready. Yeah. To take the gospel. Have you heard probably have you have you heard what what remains the number one reason that people visit a church the number one reason why it's a close second (laughs) a close second we think oh you got to have this huge internet presence and you got to spend money on billboards and all these things like the number still the number one reason people uh, attend a church is because they were invited by somebody they see a face there that was friendly and uh, people welcome them. They, they want to go somewhere where they're not walking in just blind. It's wonderful to invite people to church. When they come, folks, do what, do what you do best. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Smile and laugh and welcome them and greet them. Ask them where they're from. Folks, be yourselves. And a few of those visitors will come back. A few of them will come back. Ah, that's enough. One closing story. Talking about evangelism. I I appreciate your patience today. This is so important. 
Actually, I was coming in today. I really thought this, this may be the most important passage that I've addressed since being here. We've always talked about going with the gospel. This may be the most important passage I've addressed since I've been here. And uh, I, I took a, I audited a seminary class a couple of years ago down in Expositor Seminary down there with Jerry Ragg and uh, Grace Emanuel Bible Church. And uh, he had been approached at one point, he's just sharing this with prospective pastors that are working uh, on a degree. And I was auditing, he's, he's, he's good, he's a really good teacher. And um, he talked about how he's approached with different evangelism programs. And he, he fell under criticism, he said personally, because he hadn't adopted a particular program from a particular organization. And uh, they came in and talked, you really need this program. It's not a bad program. They said, you have to have this. He was, you don't have an evangelism program, he was told. I don't know how many years this was. There are about 800 people or more now. This is, this is how he responded. And I challenge you. He said, we don't have an evangelism program. He said, we've got 800 evangelists right here. And they go out every week. And they share the gospel. And they love people. And they bring them in. He goes, I can't be told we don't have an evangelism program. Let's go and do it this Christmas. God bless you. Let's pray. Oh, Father. The responsibility that you've given us is just to go tell people how much love you've shown us. You've, uh, you've given us the gospel, that message uh, of power. Lord, you've given us the spirit who convicts and makes people ready. Lord, just help us be faithful. Help us be courageous. We want to see people come in and rejoice and worship the King. In Christ's name we pray.